Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Luke 20, uh, verses 19 through 31. It was still the first day of the week. That evening, while the disciples were behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, Peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and his side. When the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive, they aren't forgiven. Thomas, the one called Didymus, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he replied, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails, and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. After eight days, his disciples were again in a house, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. He said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into my side. No more disbelief. Believe. Thomas responded to Jesus, My Lord and God, my God. Jesus replied, Do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. Then Jesus did many other miraculous signs in his disciples' presence, signs that aren't recorded in this scroll. But these are things written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son, and that believing you will have life in his name. This is the word of God for the people of God. I find it interesting that the same day Jesus is released from the tomb, the disciples have chosen to entomb themselves. They are locked away in a house somewhere, hidden behind doors, under the cover of darkness. I can imagine the air in this place is thick with emotions. It must be stifling, lifeless, suffocating to be smothered by those clouds of fear and anger hurt and loss, heartache and grief. Can't you just hear the questions that are being thrown around? How could God have let this happen? How could Jesus really be dead? Why didn't Jesus do something? If he really was who he said he was, surely he could have stopped this unimaginable horror from occurring. Oh sure, Peter and John claimed the tomb was empty, but how do we know that that's just not some kind of trick or something? Yes, Mary reports to have actually seen Jesus alive, but how can we know that's not just a fabrication of her deep-seated grief? I'm sure the air was thick and dense with uncertainty. The disbelief that Jesus was truly gone and the equally strong disbelief that he wasn't. The disciples were surrounded by the darkness of evening, the darkness of doubt, the darkness of despondency. It was a dark night of the soul, and the mood was gloomy and depressing. The blame and guilt flinging must have been so thick you could have cut it with a knife. I'm sure there was a lot of God blaming going on too. 
I mean, that's what we humans often do when we're faced with tragedy. It's a common piece of the grief process. God could have kept this from happening. Why him? Why me? Why did God allow us to get our hopes up, allow us to think that this was the Messiah, the one who would save us at last, only to let him be taken from us in such a painful, horrible way? What kind of God is this who would play such a terrible trick on us? Well, I'll have nothing to do with that God anymore. God doesn't exist. There is no God. God is dead, as dead as this one I love so very much. I can never forgive God for allowing this to happen to me. Just like us, I suspect they blame God. Or maybe it's the other who becomes the target of all those negative feelings. That good-for-nothing Judas, I never trusted him. How could he have done this to Jesus and to us? Or maybe the system gets blamed. It's those stinking Romans. This is all they're doing. Or these religious leaders are all corrupt and worthless. They hated that Jesus was rocking their safe little boat, so they had him killed. And there's usually enough blame to go around. If that dumb old Peter hadn't cut off that slave's ear, this would have never gone as far as it did. That stupid Andrew telling me all those stories and convincing me that Jesus was really the one. He's never been a very good judge of character. Why did I ever believe him? I should have seen where this path was leading us years ago. It's his fault we're in this pickle. He's the one to blame for our being stuck here. Maybe someone is even bold enough to blame Jesus. Thanks to him, everyone now thinks of us as dangerous troublemakers, so we were probably crucified just like he was. We tried to get him to leave Jerusalem to let things cool off, but no, this was something he just had to do. In the quiet of the room, there's, there's bound to be a lot, also be a lot of self-blame. If only I'd stayed awake in the garden. Why didn't I understand what he was telling us that night? And why didn't I try to change his mind? If only I hadn't run off when the guards came. If only I'd spoken up when Jesus refused to answer Pilate's questions. If only, if only, if only. They were humans. And so their questions and self-recriminations must have been a lot like ours when we're looking back on pain and tragedy and loss. If only. The darkness is so dark the pit they find themselves in so deep that even the glimmer of hope they received from John and Peter and Mary about the things they had witnessed that morning can't penetrate, can't reach them. They feel like they're drowning in quicksand. They are too afraid to do anything and too afraid not to. But just when it seems that glimmer is about to be snuffed out completely, light comes into the darkness. Jesus the light of the world is suddenly standing there with them in that room. When it seems all hope is gone, hope himself is there in their very midst. When it seems that evil and death really did win, Jesus says, no, peace, shalom, a new creation is with you. And then Jesus shows them that he is a new creation. He bears the scars of the old life, but locked doors and fear are no longer barriers. There is a new creation and Jesus calls them to be a part of this new creation. I can only imagine what happened next. 
Jesus lovingly moves to each person in that room, takes his or her face gently in his hand, and breathes on each one. In my mind's eye, I am immediately taken back to the Genesis story where God shaped those first humans and breathed God's very breath into them. As with the first creation, so with the new one. Jesus' breath, the Holy Spirit, we're told, is carefully and tenderly given to each one of Jesus' precious ones. And maybe he speaks to each individual. Bartholomew, let go of that spirit of anger and be filled with my spirit. Thaddeus, let the Holy Spirit push out all that resentment toward God you're feeling. John, my spirit will help you be rid of self-doubt and teach you to trust yourself. Yes, Peter, three times you said you didn't know me, but quit beating yourself up about it. Be filled with the breath of new life. There's work in the new creation for you to do. And then he gives them their assignments. You are to be about the business of forgiveness. Huh? Surely he meant revenge. Now we'll show them who's boss. They'll wish they'd never hurt one hair on Jesus' head. We'll give to them every hurt they inflicted on him only a thousand times worse. No, he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Your work, your work is that of forgiveness. The community of faith Christ's followers are to be filled with the same spirit as that of the risen Christ, the one who on the cross prayed, Father, forgive them. Forgiveness. It's one of the strongest gifts we can be given and one of the greatest gifts we can give each other. When our risen Lord appeared to his disciples on Easter day, he was forgiving and he called them to be forgiving as well. The risen Christ tells us that we are sent not to tell people, not to teach people, not to convert people, but in this story, we are sent to forgive people. Now, forgiveness is one of those really, really difficult concepts for us to get our minds around. And over the years, most of us have distorted it in many ways. On the one hand, there's been a strong tendency to cheapen it. We hear and sing words of forgiveness in church, but if we're not careful, they too, too easily become simply a way to try to make people feel better. Forgiveness is about engaging in the craft of remaking people's lives as a response to God's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that again. Forgiveness is about engaging in the craft of remaking people's lives as a response to God's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. The focus of God's forgiveness in Christ is less on a word that is spoken to assuage guilt and more about a transformation of relationship with God and with other human beings. As such, it does not aim to try to undo a past that, after all, cannot be undone. Rather, it aims to provide a healing of the brokenness of the past so as to enable new and renewed community in the future. 
The other distortion we run into with the issue of forgiveness is the tendency to make it conditional, right? You will be forgiven if, if you jump through these hoops, if you say these words, if you engage in these acts of penance, then and only then you will be forgiven. But scripture tells us while we were yet sinners, forgiveness is ours, but we are to accept it. And sometimes that's not an easy thing for us to do. Forgiveness is ours, but it's not simply ours to make us feel better. Forgiveness is about, again, about creating new relationships, fresh starts with God and with others, and even with ourselves. You and I are here in this place because we are broken people, all of us. We offend each other. We hold grudges. We refuse to forgive one another. We gossip. We wonder out loud about each other in front of others. We do hurtful relationship breaking things to each other all the time. But we come together within these walls to be healed. We come to find forgiveness, true forgiveness. We come to say, I'm really sorry and I won't do that again. And we come to hear Jesus say, try again. I'm not going to stop loving you. You are forgiven. It's forgiveness that we seek within these walls. And our risen Lord, the one who fills us with his spirit, the breath of life, offers forgiveness to us all. I wonder if there's someone to whom you need to say, I'm sorry. I wonder if there's someone you'd like to have the chance to forgive. Maybe you need to give up your grudge against God. Maybe you're finally ready to put an end to that silly, hurtful battle you and your family member have been waging all these years. Or maybe it's time to forgive yourself for that dumb mistake, that wandering off the path, that awful, hurtful thing you did. It's time to open your eyes to see Jesus standing right there in that dark place with you. It's time to feel him breathe his spirit upon you and offer you peace. It's time to proclaim my Lord and my God and to know that through believing you may have life, new life, life in a new creation, a new kingdom, one ruled by the suffering servant, the resurrected Lord. You may have new life in his name. We are to live as Christians. Easter people, children of the light and light to the world. We are to live as a people who are forgiven because we are forgiven. Thanks be to God, amen.